We now start chapter 21 in the book of Revelation, which speaks to us of eternity. When we go from being through the millennium with him, finally into heaven. We have had our new bodies given to us and we are now living for him in heaven. The best description that I ever heard about heaven is not what it's like, but who's there that matters. The same thing is really true in our lives. It's not where we go. It's not the vacation spot we go. It's who we're with that really matters. If I told you that I'll pay for you to go on a vacation, I'm not going to. But if I uh, told you I'm going to pay for you to go on a vacation and um, there's one catch, though, and I, I'll, you can go anywhere you want to go. I'll pay for a whole month. You guys can do whatever you want to do while you're there. I'll pay for it all. One catch. You have to go with the person in the world that annoys you the most. And don't act like you don't have people that annoy. Don't act like you've got somebody who annoys you, okay? You have to do that. Or I'll pay for you to stay at a resort in Tucson for a couple of days with uh, the, the, your favorite people. Which one are you going to choose? I know which one I'm going to choose. A <laughs> couple days in a resort with my favorite people. Because it's about the people. It's not about the places. And heaven is about God being there and us being in that final love relationship with God. And, and we get that. And we're in a love relationship with him now. But listen to the way that it will speak about this in just a, a couple of minutes. Now, I've heard people say, I don't know if I want to go to heaven. Heaven's going to be boring after a while. Um, I, I, I don't want to be I don't want to have a worship uh, service that'll go on forever. I think after, I don't know, a couple trillion years, that's going to be pretty boring. Just going to be singing or kneeling before him. And we are going to worship him forever, for sure. OK, it's part of what we're going to we will worship him forever. But we often have too narrow of a definition of worship. Worship not only means in the time of singing where you are raising your hands or you are, 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 are expressing your love for him. That is part of worship. But remember that we call this whole thing a worship service. There's more to worship than just singing, than just praising. We will praise him forever and ever, Psalms 145 says. We will, we will worship him, we'll lift him up and we'll praise him. But that doesn't mean it's the only thing that we're going to be doing. And I'll tell you something else about this that is interesting to me. And, and I, again, I'm thinking out loud. And I'm sorry that sometimes I do that in messages. But I think it's really interesting to think about time. So God created time, matter, space. We live in a time, space, matter continuum. And they're all working together. And we also know that gravity affects how fast time goes. And we also know that you can't go past the speed of light. But the closer you get to the speed of light, the more time slows down. And so you've got this is relative, right? The idea of, of relativity. And so time is an interesting thing. I think about time when the world was created and everything was at the super speed as everything was spreading out, how much time passed in the universe and did it pass differently at different times? I also think about us in eternity. Are we going to still be in time or are we going to move outside of time and into eternity when we're in heaven? I spent a little bit of time looking for passages, trying to, and, and I, I just didn't have enough time. It was like, this is like, I'm going to need, I don't know how long I'm going to need to try to chase it down and to see if there's anything. But I do think it's interesting for us to think about entering into eternity with the only true, wise, immortal God 
who stands outside of time? Will we'll still be in time as we interact with him or will he take us outside of time and we will become immortal and timeless as he is? I'm not sure. Maybe there's an answer to it. I don't know. That's just something that I thought about as I was making my way through this study today. But I do like the way this chapter begins. It says in Revelation 21.1, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Remember that when Jesus sat on the throne in the last chapter, that heaven and earth fled away from the face of him who sat on the throne. And there was nothing but the people who were being judged. And those who were judged for their works were thrown into the lake of fire. And those who, whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life, which is by giving your life to him by faith, th those were, had gone on into eternity with him. And now there's a new heaven and there's a new earth and there's no more sea. And I really realize that that bums out surfers, okay? <laughs> surfers will always talk about the fact <clears throat> that there is no more sea, but I can't imagine how grand this new heaven and this new earth is going to be, that we are going to live for eternity on it. Is there nothing to say that it would be the exact same size as our earth? There's nothing to say that it might not be, that it's gonna be created in different ways. God's gonna have a new creation. It's just not, not just like another planet that's like our planet. There are differences, I am quite sure. Now, this is a combination of God now in heaven and us here on earth and God in the new Jerusalem coming down and dwelling with us. So it's a combination of heaven and earth. It's not just a new heaven and new earth and God's still up in heaven and we're down here on the earth. It is actually a combination of both of them. I did not say that this is uh, a new home for us. It is our new home. It is our home. This new heaven and new earth is home for us. And as I make my way through this, I wanna give you seven things about heaven that we should know. The first thing about heaven is that we should know is it is our home. We get to go home when we, when we find ourselves in heaven. Philippians 3, 2 and 11 says, for our citizenship is in heaven. We are passing through this earth, but we have our citizenship in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed into his glorious body. So we're going to be like Christ according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Hebrews 13, 14 says, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one that is to come. This will be the new Jerusalem that we will see come down from heaven in a moment. In 2 Peter 3, 4, it says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness does not dwell on the earth. Unrighteousness dwells on the earth. And there are all kinds of evil that persist. And the Bible seems to indicate that things are going to get worse and worse. I know some people believe they'll get better and better, but it seems like evil becomes more evil. I, I, at the end of the book of Revelation, we're going to read that those who are evil, filthy, let them be filthy still. Those who are righteous, let them be righteous still. And then finally, in John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you will be also. This is why I'm not saying that the heaven and earth is a, is a, a, a new home for us, but it is actually our home. There's a place for you there. A genuine Christian has a place for them prepared by Jesus in heaven. And I don't know what the place will be like. I don't know. It, it, the word is rooms, really, instead of mansions. And sorry to kind of let you have that one here. But the idea is that there's a place in heaven for us. And, and who knows what it will be, but it will be grand. Now, in verse two, then I saw John, then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, if you've been with us in our study of the book of Revelation, this is going to make a little sense. If not, then kind of take this information. You can work on it later. But you remember earlier, we had the city of Babylon, which was a city the whole world was ruled from, but it was also represented by a woman who was a harlot because she was false religion. It was false religion, but she was also a city. Remember at the end, I think it's of verse chapter 17, verse 18. The woman that you saw riding the beast was the new Babylon, was the city where that would rule over the world. And now we have true faithful religion, the right way in New Jerusalem and a new city that's going to rule the world in righteousness. And so we've had the fake and God judged the fake. And now we have the real that has come down from heaven. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them, will be there and God himself will be with them and be their God. So now we actually are interacting. We are living with him. We are in the place where God is. We're going to be able to be there. So the second thing that I have about heaven is that in heaven, we live with God. First Corinthians 13, 12 and 13 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We're actually going to see him face to face because as we're going to see in a few minutes, we're going to have a new body that doesn't die when we see him in all of his glory. Now I know in part, Paul said, but then I shall know just as I am known. I'm going to know just like I'm known. It means we're going to have a lot of information. I don't believe this is telling us that in heaven we are know-it-alls. I don't think we know everything. I think there's more that we're going to learn. But it means that we see God and we know God as we are known. Right now, we have questions and we see through a mirror dimly, but then we are going to see face to face. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's a resurrection. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Heaven is a place we are actually living with him in the new Jerusalem. The third thing about heaven that we need to know is that we will be with the ones we love in heaven. 
Matthew 8, 11 says, and I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we know who Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is in the kingdom of heaven, then I'm going to know my wife in the kingdom of heaven because people come up to me and they'll say, well, when we're in heaven, will I know my husband or will I know my wife? I, I like what Greg Laurie says here. He says, one thing that I know is that when you get to heaven, you're not going to be dumber than you are now. And so if you know who your wife is now, you're going to know who your wife is in heaven. And I like that. It's true. We're going to many are going to come. Now, this particular verse, he's talking about the Gentiles. He's saying the Gentiles are going to come in and they're going to sit down in the kingdom of God and have a meal with these very Jewish people. But we do know who they are in the kingdom of God. And that's really important. In 2 Samuel 12, 23, David had lost a son. It was the son that he had in the affair with Bathsheba. And God was disciplining him. The Bible says that, the, that God disciplines those he loves. And none of the disciplining of God is, is joyful, but it's grievous. And it should really speak to us about making sure that we have things right before God has to discipline us. And if God's disciplining you now in a corrective way, then respond quickly. What do you do when your kids are being disciplined and they respond quickly? You don't lay the discipline on heavier, but what do you do if they're defiant to it? Then you lay the discipline on heavier. And so it is with us and God that we can find ourselves really having that, that right relationship with him. Well, the son had been taken and David had put on sackcloth and ashes and had wept and prayed and fasted. And his, his staff thought the child's died. What is going to happen to him now? Look how he's acting when the child is just sick. And so when David hears that the child has died, he gets up and he washes his face and hands. And they're, they're lost for words. They, they, why, why, why when your child was sick, were you fasting? But now you're eating. Here is David's response. David said, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. He knew that the baby wasn't going to come back to him in this world, but that he was going to go to the baby. He was going to go to the child whom he loved. And you may remember a few weeks ago, we talked about what happens to children who are too young to know. The Bible calls them the innocents in Jeremiah chapter 19, that they will go into the presence of God. And if you have lost a child, if you have had a miscarriage, even if you've had an abortion, you will see that child again because they are, they're human. Human life begins at conception. It's a, it's a, what else is it? It's a life. It's a human life at conception. It isn't something else until a certain point. And, and we will see that child again. And for those of you that have abortions in your past or you're connected somehow to them, it may be something very brutal for you to hear about. But to know that there will be a reuniting even with that child could be an absolutely amazing thing. Now, also in First Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, it says, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown, our rejoicing? So Paul says, what are the things that are all of these? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming for you are our glory and joy? 
Remember, I'm making the case that we're going to know our family and friends in heaven. We're going to see each other. We're going to rejoice with one another because we will know one another when we are together in heaven. Now, in verse four, it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, for there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Sometimes people will say to me, why is there suffering in the world today? Why is there evil in the world today? As if God and suffering and God and evil cannot coexist together. Which if God has a plan for suffering and for evil, then they can coexist together. But in this world, there's evil. In this world, there is suffering. But in the world to come, that's the world you want to see. When someone says to me, why is there evil and suffering in the world? I tell them that. Hey, just wait. Hang on. The world's coming when when every tear will be wiped from the face and there will be no more pain. We will not interact with that world the same way we do with this one with pain. Right. You touch a hot stove. It hurts. So you let it go. It's a protect protection mechanism and pain gets out of control or people use pain for the wrong purposes. God had his purposes that we would interact with this world through our senses, and sometimes even through pain. But it's gotten out of control. So the fourth thing that I have about heaven is there will be no more pain, but there will be emotions. The joy, the rejoicing in the presence of God. Isaiah 65, 17 and 18 says, For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I created. For behold, I created Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. So God wants us to rejoice in the new Jerusalem. Now, this phrase that the former will not come to mind is the reason that people think they will not know people who they knew in in heaven. That God's saying we aren't going to remember what happened here on earth. But that's not what it's saying. It isn't saying that we're not going to be look back at this time and be able to remember this time. It's saying in comparison to the joy, the completeness of joy, the complete comfort of heaven, that we will not be fixated on what happened back here. So I was listening to a video um, by a guy by the name of Daniel Morintz, DLM Ministries, and he was talking about heaven and he said, that he was, went on an airplane flight, took coach, but on the way back, they came to him, they called up and they said, listen, the flight's full. And if you guys don't mind staying another day, we'll pay for you for first class in your flight tomorrow. And they were like, sure, we'll stay another day. And then he said, while I was up in first class, I wasn't thinking about what it was like back in coach. I was just amazed at what first class was all about. That's a great analogy for it. We will be so in joy and the newness and the wonderfulness that we have that the former things will not come to mind. We will not be dwelling on them. We will be in that fullness of joy. It doesn't mean that we will forget them completely. Verse five says, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said, right for these words are faithful and true. So God's going to make all things new. 
One of the things that he makes new is the fifth thing that I want us to look at about heaven, and that is that we have new bodies. We will not be in these bodies anymore. Amen. I was going to say that's really good news for us. It's really good news for me because I realize that I'm, you know, I'm deteriorating. You are too. And if you're young, you just don't know it yet. You will at a particular point in time. You, you will realize it. First Corinthians 15, 43 and 44 says this about our bodies. It is sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. When I am resurrected, now I have this, but it will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, but raised in a spiritual body. Now that's interesting to me. What is a spiritual body? We will have a spiritual body. When Jesus went in to meet with the disciples the first time after the resurrection, remember the door was locked and the windows were barred and Jesus appeared in the middle of them. And we are going to be like him we read earlier. It goes on to say there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We know what a natural body is like, but we don't know what that spiritual body is like. He gives us a little more information in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and 53. It's the same passage, just down a little further. He says, in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. That's a resurrection again, just like we read earlier. But there's something that happens in a moment and twinkling of an eye. And we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruptible and this mortal must put on immortality. The Bible says of the God that we serve that he is immortal, the only wise God, the only immortal, the only wise God. And we, this spiritual body we put on will be immortality. We will live forever. First Corinthians 15, 49 says, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. The image of, of this, this, the body that is spirit, the, the incorruptible, the, the immortal now that we have. So it's clear that we don't go around in these bodies. Now, we also wonder, well, what, what, you know, what happens if I die when I'm 95? Am I going to be 95 throughout all of eternity? What happens if I die if I'm 11 or 10? Am I never going to be an adult? Am I going to be a kid throughout all of eternity? I got to think that God's got this covered. All right. I got to think we don't have to worry about those things. I got to think that we are going to be in our prime, whatever that is. We're going to be above our prime, right? Because we were sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. And, and it, the, the, that certainly has to be true. Now, it says in verse six, and he said to me, it is done. The new heaven and the new earth had come down and now they're there. I am the alpha and the omega. That's who we met in the beginning of the book. This is Jesus in Revelation chapter one, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So in eternity, there's the fountain, the water of life. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. All things belong to us. 
Paul writes to the Corinthians that have all kinds of problems. It's a, it's a church that's a mess. But Paul says to them in the very beginning, you have all things. And if it was true about the Corinthian church in the first century that they had everything, it's true about you as a Christian. You have all things. We inherit them all with him. We have them all. It's just a matter of inheriting them, to, of actually receiving them. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Now, the sixth thing that I have that we need to know about heaven is a really important one. And that is there are things that we will do in heaven. We will work there. But I want to show you it's not like work here, okay? We, we have things to do. It's not like we're just on this giant long vacation. Because I understand how you could get bored with that. I'm on vacation too long and I'm chomping at the bit. I'm like, I want to get back, you know, home. And so Revelation 22, that's the next chapter, three says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. You and I are his servants and we will serve him. And that's in eternity. Now, what kind of things will we do as we serve him? I'm sorry, I don't know. It's a mystery. We're not told. We're told very little about what we will be doing for him in eternity. We are told that we will rule and reign and that we will serve him. That's the information that we have. Now, this is not going to be like work today because we're, we're living a curse. By, by the sweat of our brow, we make a living for ourselves. And in... Revelation 14, 13, it says, Then I heard the voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they, may, they, they, may, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So we will have rest from our labors. It will be work like it was before Adam and Eve fell and the earth was cursed. And there just seems to be things in the way of being able to make ends meet. In Revelation 3.21, it says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat on my, uh, with my father on his throne. So again, we're going to serve him and we're going to rule and reign. But other than that, we don't know exactly what we're going to be doing because God hasn't given us the information. It is beyond what we can understand about what we can comprehend. We do not know what our creative God, it's, it's our creative God who made elephants and giraffes and manatees who is going to create a new heaven and a new earth and is going to take us into eternity so we can't even possibly begin to imagine what that world is going to be like. Now, verse 8 says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolatries, and the liars, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which we covered in our last chapter. And we've done a couple of studies on the end of the ungodly in Revelation, if you are interested in that. But I want you to notice it says, and liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Just in case you think that you haven't done anything worthy of being thrown into the lake of fire because we think of things that are an abomination. And you might look at someone who's involved in homosexuality and say, that's an abomination, forgetting that liars find themselves in the lake of fire as well. And that heterosexual sin is 
is fornication like homosexual sin is fornication. They're, they're the same in that they are sexual sin. And one doesn't get you a hotter place in hell than the other. Just important for us to remember that and understand it. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need Christ on the cross to have our sins forgiven. Jesus doesn't send anybody to the lake of fire. We are on our way there and he rescues people from going there because all of us, the Bible says, in truth, all men are liars. Now, women say amen to that, but I think, <laughs> I think God was using the generic term there. In truth, all men are liars, meaning men and women. So when the gals are like, amen, well, it's really all of us, right? And I think that that's an important point to make. And it's also an important point when we're, when we're ministering to people that may be in some really lifestyle that is so foreign to the things that God would have them to be in that we would have a heart and understand that they can be forgiven and that God could do a work and God could, could set them free. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with seven last plagues came and talked to me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now we looked at this verse when, earlier in the book of Revelation when we talked about who the bride is. So many believe that the bride is just the church and that Israel is not the bride, but the bride is anyone who is part of, of belief and faith and has, has made it into heaven. And the new Jerusalem represents that bride. And he carried me into the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me a great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the light of most precious stones, like jasper stones, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the name written and names written on them, which were on the names, which were the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So on this city, which represents the bride of Christ, are the names of Israel on the 12 gates that are around them. It says three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west, which makes the 12 gates and the 12 names of the children of Israel. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So now you've got the church. So you've got Israel and you've got the church. And it says, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city and its gates and its walls. Now, before we get to verse 16, uh, I wonder, I wonder whether or not Dan, the tribe of Dan is going to be on the gates because remember they were left out earlier. And if you read the last chapter, five chapters of the book of Judges, and trust me, it's rough, all right? If you're gonna go read it, it's rough. There are some things that Dan does. Dan doesn't like the land that God gave them. It's a coastal land, but there's giants there and they go and kill the people of Lachish and take their, their, their city for themselves. And it seems that God left them out earlier in the book of Revelation. I don't know if the tribe of Dan will be there. And I also wonder whose name's gonna be written on the, is it gonna be Matthias or the apostle Paul? who's going to have be the 12th foundation because Judas gave up his place. Matthias was chosen before the Holy Spirit was given. They rolled lots for that and fell on Matthias and 
there is a precedent in the scripture for rolling lots in the Old Testament. So maybe it's Matthias, maybe it's Paul. A couple of different variations there. So when we get to the New Jerusalem and you see me marching around the foundation stones, you know exactly what I'm looking for or checking out the gates. You know exactly what I'm doing. Verse 16, the city is laid out as a square. Now, we picture this giant square coming down from it's the New Jerusalem. Um, or could it, the square be the base? There are those that believe that this is a pyramid shape, that it's not necessarily just a pyramid, but it's a pyramid style shape that actually makes up the city. That it's a square and it's so high, but it makes the city up and could end up with any shape besides just that. Now, I haven't done enough or first of all, I'm not versed enough in Greek to know, does this mean a square like a cube when when I read it? That's some some studying for you guys as well as me to do in the future. But I'm telling you, there are those who are Greek experts who say this is not a square. This is a square city that has a square base and then some kind of a city that has the equal height to the width on top of it. Or it could be a giant cube like the Borg. I don't know. For those of you who know Star Trek, um, the city was laid out as a square. Its length is height and its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed. Twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth and height were equal. I meant to look up exactly how many miles that is. I don't know. It's big. OK, yeah, you can look him up. If only we had some computer most of us carried with us that was connected to the entire world that we could ask a question like, how long is a furlong? And if only a pastor would take time to ask that question that would take a few seconds, he could give that information when he's given the study, which I forgot, okay? It says, then he measured the walls um, and 144 cubits according to the measure of a man's hand or an angel. So now we get the idea that a man and an angel are about the same size. The construction of its walls was of jasper. The city was pure gold, like clear glass. It's interesting definition of pure gold. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first was the foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third was Chaldonian. The fourth was emerald. The fifth was sardex. The sixth was sardus. The seventh was crystallite, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysophorus, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl, which makes for some awfully big agitated oysters, right? And the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. There we are again, pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The nations of those who are saved still walk in its light. The kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall be shut at all. Uh, well, will not be shut by day. Let me, read, let me read what it says. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. 
There, there shall be no night there. So it's a completely safe place where we don't need to lock anything up, which makes sense. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So this makes us think that there are nations that are on the earth as well in eternity and that we may be part of that nations that comes to the new Jerusalem or we may have a home there. There's just some questions about that. But there shall be no means, but they shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The last thing is that the seventh is that heaven is a paradise. Jesus said on the cross to the thief who said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's like anything else. When we get into the future, there's a lot of questions that we still have once we make our through our, our way through like a chapter like this. It's interesting to me that the streets are made with gold, which we value, but is the asphalt of heaven telling us we probably value the wrong thing. There are transparent walls. There's no need for privacy. We need privacy today. I need I don't want transparent walls in my house. But the day will come when we won't need privacy. The walls will be transparent. It's interesting that heaven is described by what's not there. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. But we will have the joy that God has given us. Now, three things in closing. Number one, we're just passing through here. And we may be of the last generation or we may not be. But we will be like every generation that's gone before us and we will die and go into his presence. And so the time we have left. What kind of people should we be? Peter said. This whole world's going to dissolve by fire. So what kind of people should we be? And don't fall in love with the world. James said that to love this world is enmity with God. We are to, we make ourselves an enemy of God when we love this world. We are to love him and the world will betray you because you think as a Christian that the world's going to give you the things that you want but it's not. It's full of worldliness. It's full of ungodliness and it takes things too far. And we see that when we go to movies, we forget that movies are made by people who love the world. And we go to a movie and we think, OK, well, there's going to be some things I don't like in here. There's going to be some things that I got to kind of watch out for. And then it goes further than we ever thought. And, and you feel betrayed. But why? It's the world. You, you didn't go to church and have it go too far, I hope. But you went to, 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 the, to the world. Don't love the world. The world's passing away. The world loves its own, Jesus said. Second, what do we do here? What we do here affects things in heaven. Jesus said, don't stack up treasures here where moths and rust can destroy, but stack it up in heaven. Jesus said, use the mammon of this world. Mammon is stuff, uh, uh, materialism. Money would be included in mammon to make friends in heaven. So we can make a difference in, in heaven. And we most definitely want to. In heaven, 
we will know as we are known and we'll think differently. Praise the Lord. Because I'm not sure we think correctly now. I think we're affected by our sin nature. You know, Hebrews tells us that we deceive ourselves. I think I would be pretty arrogant if I thought I had no self-deception. We all do. And the Bible says sin is deceptive. And I would be probably pretty arrogant if I thought I'm never deceived by sin. And the Bible says the tempter is the great deceiver. That's like a triple whammy. We've got Satan deceiving us. We've got our hearts that deceive us. And we've got sin that is deceptive so that we can end up justifying and think that we are doing something that is right when indeed it is wrong. The interesting thing is that sometimes when we see it on other people, we can identify it as wrong. But when we see it in ourselves, we justify it. It's okay for me because when it's really not. May we begin to think more biblically. Begin to think more the way the Bible tells us to think about things. And I think we'll be standing in the right place for that day when we will stand together, see one another in heaven and be rejoicing as I'm looking for Paul's name on the foundations of the New Jerusalem. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this chapter where we focus on the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth and our home being there with you and you abiding with us. And Lord, we understand that there's a lot of mystery there for us. We don't get it. We don't get it all, but that's okay. We look forward to having these things revealed to us as we have that full joy in the presence of those who love you. And I pray, Lord, for those who are here tonight that don't know whether they really have a relationship with you. I pray that they would be confident that they do. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.